My name is Kim, and this is my podcast, Power Up Your Performance. I believe that we have the power to rewrite our stories, change the trajectory of our lives, pour love into the world, conquer monumental challenges, and that movement can be a catalyst for change. Let's grow together. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. My name is Kim Peek, and I am so happy you're joining me today. We are heading into the holiday season. It's the week before Thanksgiving here in the U.S., and as I drive through the neighborhood, I am seeing more houses with Christmas lights and Christmas trees than not. And I still can't figure out, this is just a thing with me, but I still can't figure out why we need to celebrate two holidays with our houses decked out in the Christmas spirit, three if you count New Year's. But I've finally decided, I've kind of accepted the fact that this is just how it is these days, that we put up our trees and start beginning with the Christmas holiday spirit the day after Halloween. And I've kind of come to terms with it because I've realized that we need more joy. We need more happiness. And if decorating for Christmas, if decorating for the winter holidays fills someone's heart with joy, then I say that's the right thing to do. So I wanted to bring today's guest on the show because I think she also has an important message as we enter what could be a stressful time for some people, whether it's tension among your extended family members or worrying about certain relatives getting in their backhanded digs or maybe your family fights about politics when you get together or stress about what to eat or who's going to comment on your appearance or your weight or what you're choosing to eat or what you're choosing to not eat. There's there's just sometimes a lot of tension and pain and emotion that we have to sift through this time of year with all of this family togetherness. So today I'm talking with Cassie Christopher, who is a body positive registered dietitian. She's passionate about helping women 45 plus heal emotional eating by loving themselves well. She supports her clients to create unapologetic self-care practices from a sense of connection to their bodies and desires so they feel comfortable in their own skin, in control around food, and energized to live a life they love. We covered so much ground talking about nutrition and emotional eating, and a huge light bulb went off for me when we got to the topic of why people might feel the need to hide what they are eating. I don't know why it never dawned on me before, but the way she explained it, I'm sure when you get to that point, you're going to hear the literal explosion in my brain as we're talking. (laughs) Anyway, I hope you also get a lot out of this conversation with Cassie Christopher. Oh, and one more thing. I have a serious mic issue going on on this episode, so I hope you'll bear with me and ignore the tinny sound you hear because what Cassie has to say is that important. Welcome to the show, Cassie. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Me too. So you are a dietitian Mm -hmm. and you, I feel like, have a refreshing approach to nutrition because you're body positive and you don't focus on weight loss. And I read on your website that that perspective came 
from something you realized as a grad student. Can you tell us about that? Certainly, yeah. And and I, I want to say, first off, that if women come to me and they want help with weight loss, they need knee surgery or whatever, it's not that I won't help people with weight loss, but you'll never hear me telling you that you need to lose weight. And the reason is because I believe that you can live a healthy, confident, amazing life and feel good in your body just the way you are. You're great just the way you are. And I know from personal experience that sometimes carrying extra weight can be uncomfortable. And I don't want to shame anyone for wanting to lose weight either. But I like to a safe space that people won't get body shaming from me. And that's really important. And yeah, my experience with food, like you said, really harkens back to when I was getting my master's in nutrition, learning all the right things to do, the ways to be healthy, which at that time, healthy meant eating a lot of vegetables, cutting out certain no-no foods that were inflammatory or processed or whatever, and having a normal BMI. And so I would try my best to stay within that healthy range as defined, like I said, at that time by that culture. And, and I would miss the mark because I was using food to deal with the excess that I had. And in particular, I would go to the school convenience store and buy my artisanal dark chocolate every day to help numb or avoid these difficult feelings, these feelings of inadequacy, the fear, am I going to get the grade and just the exhaustion. I was really using food in that way. And so I would end up going on these diets that I was learning were supposed to be so helpful. And I would end up restricting feeling like I was being good. And those who are listening can't see me use quotation marks here. Um, feeling like I was being good and then end up back toward the chocolate because the restricting only made me feel worse. And so it was like this for many years, even as I became a dietitian, I was helping other people. I still was struggling with using food in this way. And none of the diets I was learning, none of the strategies, none of the supplements that um, were supposed to help with cravings or this, that, and the other actually healed my emotional eating. Yes. And before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about how the diet industry and the wellness industry kind of preys on our fears and they, they dig at those negative things that we're telling ourselves to get us to buy products. So I really appreciate this approach. Yeah, I think it's really important for people to understand we live in a culture where there is this thin ideal and this thin ideal is generally white fit toned so it's also a racist ideal and it's an ideal that no one can actually meet most of our bodies our genetics aren't set up to be that way i'm five three and i carry a lot of weight in my rear end which you can't <laughs> see because we're on zoom and it's not the like curvy model kind um it's not the thin ideal and yet there was so much of my life where healthy meant looking like the thin ideal and feeling good about myself and hearing other people tell me that i looked good meant fitting into that mold when in reality that's just a social construct and really an evil one, in my opinion. And so you can do things that make you feel good and live a life you love without fitting into that thin ideal. And so that's why I really love to talk about 
body acceptance and what is how is it that you want to feel rather than how is it that you want to look because i think you can feel good in your body without shrinking to the point where other people are saying oh you look so good because that's just underscoring this unattainable version this unattainable racist patriarchal ideal and it's true for men and women like men have the ideal too it's not just women so i want to be clear about that as well yeah i was just looking at a post the other day by kara goucher who is an olympic marathoner and she was showing this picture and i think it was from the olympics or it was from some race where she still holds the women's record and she was talking about how I used to look at this picture and be so embarrassed because this picture of me was out on the internet. And she goes, and you can see I have a little bit of skin hanging from my shorts. She goes, if you look carefully at my rear end and my legs, they're cellulite. And I used to be embarrassed. And I think that we are finally getting somewhere in the conversation about this, where now she can say, I know that I honor my body because look what it allowed me to do instead of, oh my gosh, I'm picking apart how it looks. She was somebody at the top of her game, still picking herself apart. And that body was doing things that most of us could never dream of. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And what I think that speaks to in work on a tangent here, which I love. <laughs> uh, so let's go. There. I do that a lot. <laughs> what, what that speaks to is this idea that we do not see either in our lives or in media, people with cellulite and a little extra fat hanging over their shorts or what have you, right? Celebrated or a lot of extra fat hanging over their shorts. These bodies are not celebrated. There is this beautiful book by, I believe her name is Sonia Renee Taylor. And if I'm getting the name wrong, I'm so sorry, but it's your body is not an apology. And she talks a lot about how the media influences how we feel about our bodies. And I've heard of this really amazing exercise that I have yet to do with my clients, but someday I will. I'm so excited where you go through and you just look at pictures of different bodies and you say she is beautiful he is beautiful they are beautiful whatever and they're diff all kinds of different bodies and i can see i've heard that when you do that activity by the end of it everyone's crying <laughs> and it's a very emotional experience and i can understand why because we are told through fat phobic jokes and the news showing pictures of people in large bodies without heads right like they show them from the neck down we are told in so many ways and oftentimes experiences growing up and from our family of origin and school bullying and whatever right like the dating scene we're told over and over again that large bodies are not worthy of love and connection so there's a lot of shame involved with having a larger body and just exposing yourself to pictures like the ones you mentioned or following like on Instagram, hashtag body positive, following some of the exposing yourself intentionally to different bodies is a really helpful way to start to even like your body more. So to help people make the leap from this to where we're about to go, yeah. can you explain why if it's not all about weight loss, why do we even care what we eat? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I specialize in helping women 45 and up to feel in control uh, of their eating. Oftentimes women come to me and they feel like they can't be trusted with a bowl of Halloween candy or Thanksgiving pie that they will just eat the whole thing. And maybe not all at once. It may be a binge, but it may just be slowly over time. And they feel a lot of guilt, a lot of shame around that because they've received these messages that that behavior is not, is not not good or okay. And it doesn't make you feel good either, right? When you're eating this way and there can be health effects, eating high sugar, high fat foods. Like I don't have to tell anyone here that those things aren't necessarily good for you. And so to make sure a lot of people come to me too, and they're worried about their future health. Like they know if things continue on the way they are with feeling out of control around food and not making the healthy choices they want to make for themselves. And again, feeling a lot of shame around it. They're afraid about the implications for their future health as they age. Maybe they've watched parents or other maybe not take care of themselves. And so they want to care for themselves well, and they're struggling to do it. And so that's where I step in to help women in particular heal their emotional eating, really understand why they're struggling. And I am a firm believer. And let me just say this to anyone out there who is struggling with making the right choices. It's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not lazy. You don't have a self-control problem. You don't have a willpower problem. That's the shaming message given to you by diet culture. But there are real reasons for why you're using food to cope with your emotions, to numb how you feel. And so once you start to address the root cause of eating, then you can actually, which you know never is addressed by dieting, by the way, then you can actually start to heal and easily make those healthy choices that you want to make for yourself. And really, when you're choosing the best for yourself and for your body, you're loving yourself. It's an expression of self-love, of self-care, which is something that we're often disconnected from when we've had years and decades of dieting. Yeah, so let's jump into what is emotional eating. Let's define that first. Certainly. So emotional eating is when you're using food to numb or avoid your feelings. So I really love in the book Burnout by the sisters Amelia and Emily Nagasaki. I'm just giving everyone a reading list today. I really love in that book, they talk about stress in particular as a tunnel. And I think it's the same for emotions. So this idea that you're going to get burnt out if you don't get out of the tunnel. You get stressed, you're on one side of the tunnel, you go into the tunnel and you're feeling the stress, you're feeling the physical emotions, your heart's racing, you're having all these stress responses. And that doesn't stop until you go out the other side of the tunnel. So the only way through the other side of the only way out of the, the tunnel is through. Feeling is healing, essentially. When you process your feelings, feel your feelings, the same like stress, you can get out of the tunnel. But if you use food when you're at that place where the emotion is the most uncomfortable and, and positive emotions are uncomfortable too when we're not used to feeling them. So I'm not talking just about things like anger or loneliness or sadness. I'm talking about joy and hmm. happiness as well when you numb one emo the, the negatives and the positives too. And so when you're 
not wanting to feel that emotion, which really is the, you're inside that tunnel, you get stuck in there when you eat. So you're constantly, rather than feeling the emotion, letting it dissipate, getting out of the tunnel, moving on. I hope the analogy is making sense. You, you get stuck in there and you continue to feel the feelings of those emotions. And it's so interesting when you look at the research behind repressed emotions, it's related to so many chronic diseases, certainly depression, anxiety, right? Not feeling your feelings, not only is causing your eating, but it's it maybe making you sick. So can somebody be eating because of their emotions and not even be aware that it's emotional eating? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I would say a lot of people are. And, and oftentimes, oftentimes again, it's because of that rhetoric that your extra eating is your problem is your fault. And so people aren't looking for the actual root cause of what's going on. They're just jumping to self-criticism and blaming themselves. So if you are someone who eats in the evening in particular, I find a lot of emotional eating, not all of it, but a lot of it happens after dinner. So you've eaten your dinner that you're full, like you can feel your fullness. You're not super hungry, but you're still going and you're getting the popcorn or you're still going and getting some chocolate. Now people might mistake that for a habit and certainly partly it can become a habit, but I had, I have some examples from my clients who, once they heal the emotional piece, the old habit crosses through their mind. So a woman was like, I thought about chips this Friday. I thought about it in the sense that it just crossed through my mind and I realized I didn't <laughs> need them. And it's, there's no, no, I need the chips. I can't say no to the chips. It's just, oh, chips. Those are things I used to eat on Friday and now I don't anymore. So that's, if you have a habit, you can break the habit without the anxiety just by thinking your way through it and going, oh, no, wait, I don't want to do that. Never mind. Like habits can change without that extra, really anxiety, I think is the way. Whereas if we're trying to use willpower, th th there's anxiety about, oh, I don't want to eat the chocolate covered bark fins from Costco because they're in such a big bag. I'm going to eat the whole thing. And those things are delicious. Let's be honest. <laughs> and you get the anxiety then there's probably something more emotional going on because that's not a healthy relationship to food yeah so let's say that every night you go and you find yourself not just having a portion of ice cream but you're like eating the whole carton eating it out of the carton maybe i was trying to think like you might not even know that it's related to emotional eating but then is there a point when you realize this and then you don't feel deprived because you're not eating the ice cream anymore? Yes. So one thing I want to speak to, and then I want to get into this deprivation idea because that's an amazing question, Kim. But the thing I want to speak to is pleasure. <laughs> I had to remember it. <laughs> pleasure. So another reason we emotionally eat is for pleasure. And that goes along with you're numbing the bad stuff. You're getting a little pleasure. You get a hip hit of dopamine, which is the, the reward, the pleasure center in the brain. And interestingly, when you feel restricted or deprived, you get a bigger hit of dopamine. And dopamine is also a motivational neurochemical. And so you are going to feel more motivated to eat the cheese puffs that you've been, you know, resisting in the pantry because they feel like forbidden foods. 
So part of this and, and what needs to happen is to develop a relationship with food where truly nothing is off limits. And this can be hard when you've struggled in particular with binging at all. If you've struggled with eating an entire thing of, of ice cream and gotten to the point where you're very uncomfortable and you don't feel good, it can be really hard to trust yourself and trust your body that you're not just going to binge. And so that's really where you need help of someone like me or a, a registered dietitian. It sounds like you have someone in your network as well who um, can help walk you through developing a good relationship with food and your body in order to reconnect with that. But for people who maybe don't have that level of, of binging or what have you, that deprivation can really feeling deprived really leads to only more eating. So yes, making sure you don't feel deprived. And what I recommend is anything is on the table. Let's pair it with protein because that's going to help balance your blood sugar and let's savor the heck out of it. And I guarantee if you're eating ice cream and you're savoring it and really connecting to the flavor and noticing what's going on, you're going to get way too full and uncomfortable before you can get to a whole carton. But that's about staying present in your body, present to the situation, which eating is often a way to make it so you don't have to stay, stay present. Eating is an escape, much like TV or books can be there. It's an escape from having to feel your emotions. So it all comes back to learning to feel your emotions. And at the same time, really learning what it means to feel satisfied. And I have women tell me all the time, every client I work with will at the end of, of our time be like, wow, I can't believe I used to not be able to be around XYZ food. And now I'm just fine. It can be in the house. I'm not going through it. There's this one woman who shared a story about Christmas cookies, which I know holidays are coming. This is so relevant. So she has a neighbor who's an amazing baker. The women that we like love to not want in our neighborhood, but secretly mm -hmm. do. And the neighbor brought over a huge platter of Christmas cookies and they were like all her favorites. Like she, this woman knew they were friends, right? She knew these were her favorites. So she has these Christmas cookies and she says, Cassie, in the past, I would have just annihilated these cookies day one. I would have told myself I was going to share. I was going to bring them elsewhere. Of course, this was in the thick of the pandemic. So there was nowhere to bring these cookies other than throw them away, which she would have felt bad about because her neighbor took so long, et cetera. So these are the conversations we have in our head, right? And she said, now that she's been working on healing her emotional eating, we also, I also work with people on connecting to their bodies and calming down their nervous system. Cause just when you're stressed and feeling frantic and exhausted, you're going to eat. That's just, that's a great way to cope. Um, so she's wow. I ate, I took one, I ate it. I enjoyed the heck out of it. And I forgot about the rest of the cookies. Never in my wildest dreams did she think that she would forget about her very favorite Christmas cookies. And I know if you're out there right now, <laughs> if you are listening and thinking this woman is full, she's absolutely full of it. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my clients tell me I have a video on YouTube on my YouTube channel where someone's, I remember when you said you just eat one, one piece of chocolate occasionally, and I didn't believe you, but now that's what I do. And I understand. So this is totally possible for you, for anyone out there. I just want you to know this. We are in the holiday season and you're talking about this neighbor who makes the most amazing <laughs> cookies or whatever it is. Why are we so prone to emotional eating 
around the holidays? Yeah, yeah. That is an amazing question that I think anyone who's out there who's struggling with emotional eating, I would love for them to ask themselves that. Because I think it's really individual, although I will share some common reasons, but doing the work for yourself and, and connecting with your own self to see what's going on here. That curiosity, I say, is always the first step to healing, getting curious rather than because non-judgmental curiosity feels a lot different from the self-criticism that we're usually throwing at ourselves. So why is emotional eating a problem during the holidays? Number one, and, and the pandemic makes things weird because we might be missing out on old traditions or fearful or unsure. And so there's that's its own ball of wax. But even in general, in non-pandemic times, the holidays tend to be a very busy time. There's a lot going on, extra stress and stress. The stress hormone cortisol results in more food cravings and eating foods that tend to not be your healthiest, best options. So there's that stress component. There's also the, the emotional component, the nostalgia, the missing people who've gone before. Oftentimes I'll hear from people, oh, my mom used to make this dessert that I just love. And now I make it every year and I go overboard on it and, and yada. And so nostalgia, I just want to point out to people is a really powerful driver for emotional eating um, because it makes us feel close to people. It makes us feel connected. But then we're also trying to numb that bittersweet feeling of loneliness and longing and missing and grief. And again, the answer is to feel the grief and that's not fun. We don't want to feel grief. We don't want to feel negative emotions, especially when we're being told again, culturally, the holidays are supposed to be fun and there are Santa Claus and reindeer and, you know, elves, like it's a fun time. And so what's wrong with you that you're sitting here grieving and sad, knock it off. So not having that permission, both internally and externally to really uh, feel emotions that might be harder during this season. And am I right using your example that you were talking about? So let's say there's like your grandma's famous jello pretzel salad yes. thing that she makes. And it makes that. you remember your grandma or, or your mom or whoever. Am I right that it's okay to go ahead and have that and indulge and maybe you have as much of it as you want on Thanksgiving or Christmas, yeah. but you're being mindful and you're choosing to eat that rather than just shoveling it in and not really being aware of your thoughts around that. Yeah. Am I right so, about that or do I have oh, that wrong? A hundred percent. So here's how this can work out sometimes. And there might be people in the audience who are like, okay, you're telling my story because I hear this one a lot. So family gatherings and delicious things. Well, you might feel embarrassed. You might, especially if you live in a larger body, you can feel judged even from your own family about eating foods that aren't considered super healthy. And so perhaps you don't take any in front of other people because you, you know, don't want to feel judged or you just take a really tiny little bit and you feel deprived, you feel restricted either way, right? This isn't what he wanted. And so then what I've heard women tell me that they do is then, oh, they put it all up, they put it back in the kitchen and then they sneak into the kitchen during the party and they have a little bite or a little sliver and then everybody leaves and they finish it off and then they're feeling full and uncomfortable and guilty and ashamed that they couldn't not have this dessert. 
And so certainly your example there of giving yourself permission and really savoring and enjoying it and, and also using it as an opportunity, especially if it's something like mom's pretzel salad, using it as a, an opportunity to connect with the people around you. Maybe you invite a loved one to help you make it. Maybe ask people to share memories of that person that you're missing while you're eating the dessert and, and really you're noticing the flavors and, oh, mom would have loved this or, oh, she wouldn't be happy to pretzels aren't crunchy enough. Being so present and using it as a point of connection, it's going to help you not feel so lonely. It's going to help you even find solace in kind of a communal grief, but also really connect with joy of those memories and how amazing the salad is and then all the memories connected with it. So that's an example of how you could take what feels like something shameful and turn it into really a beautiful experience. Yeah, I just love everything about that example. That I'm so glad that we are talking about this. Do you think that we covered everything on the topic of how to get through the holidays without emotionally eating? Do you think we've covered that mostly? I would add one more thing if I can. Yeah. And similar to asking yourself why you may be struggling with emotional eating, what are the feelings you're feeling and getting curious without judging yourself. If you're wanting, if you're anxious about the holidays, you're anxious about eating, you're anxious about being stressed out and making choices as a result. I always encourage people to stop and think about what is it that you want? So an aspect of emotional eating is getting the pleasure, right? Getting the pleasure so you don't have to feel the bad things. So how can you make sure that you're getting pleasure from non-food sources or when you do get pleasure from food that you're present for it rather than using food to disconnect and escape? And so just thinking about what are the traditions you care about? What are the things that you really want to make sure happen? And focusing on those things, what are the foods that you really want to eat? Focus on those things and then see if you can let go of some of the rest. Maybe say no to some party invites if you know, you're part of the world's doing parties. I don't know. Maybe say no to uh, some things that you don't necessarily have to do or don't aren't meaningful for you. And also this makes it a lot easier when you're coming up to say a, a Thanksgiving feast or some sort of spread that looks amazing and there's so much great food. When you're looking out over that, if you feel restricted, oh, I can't eat any of this. I'm being bad. It's off limits. You are going to have a lot of everything, even the stuff you don't really like, because that's that, that amazing. And so many, so often people say, oh, I'm so rebellious. That's so awful. No, that's incredible. That is your survival instinct. That is your strong I'm thinking of words that have some swears in them, but with that, you're incredible. Let's just go with that. Embrace that rebelliousness because I think that does a lot of good in life and you sticking up for yourself. Um, and of course it can, when you're feeling restricted, it does work against you. And so making sure you say, Hey, I can have whatever I want here. I can have as much as I want. And there's actually a couple things that I actually care most about. Like I'm a mashed potato fiend. Don't tell me it's a low carb Thanksgiving. I will just throw a bucket of potatoes on you. So I'm going to make sure I have mashed potatoes, but green bean casserole, no thanks. Jello salad, don't really need it. But if I have mashed potatoes, gravy, and turkey, I'm set. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is a great conversation because I'm still stuck back on something we just talked about before this. I, I think this is a great conversation because... I've always had a hard time going, well, how does all of this lead 
to lead to an eating disorder. But like when you're talking about how if you don't feel like you can be yourself and if you don't feel like you can eat what you want to, then you feel like you have to sneak it or go off and do it. And you're pushing down all of those emotions and you're trying to change who you are for other people. Yeah. So that they'll accept you. And it, for me, helps me see like all the layers to what we're talking about, how it's not just as simple as saying, oh, I'm not going to eat that chocolate cake today. Yes. Yep. Because then the chocolate cake feels restrictive and you want it even more. Yes. It's totally a rabbit hole. And then all of the social conditioning that we have to be, especially as women, to be small and conciliatory and just yeah, meek and mild and don't be rebellious. Our relationship with food really intersects there to, to say, if you can love yourself, your body, your emotions, I mean, really accepting that you have emotions, part of being a woman in our society, Kate Mann talks about human giver syndrome. She's a philosopher. And it's this idea that there is a subclass of humans, which tend to be women, but it can certainly be men in in some cases and non-binary people. And so this idea that human givers are the ones who give of their time, their resources, their energy, their talents, their bodies (laughs) as moms and women to the human beings. And so it's the subclass that we belong to where we're not allowed to take time to process our own emotions or sit with our feelings. And as women, we may have never been taught how to do this. And I think this is true for men too, but I really work with women. So you may have, have not had an example where your mom or the women in your life knew how to deal with their emotions. Most women I work with maybe had parents that were emotional eaters and used food to deal with their emotions. So that's what they learned. Or they have a history of early trauma to where emotions were not safe to you know experience and and just oftentimes these people feel like they're highly sensitive people and they've gotten the message that feeling their emotions is not okay and so they turn to food and so part of this journey and i'll be honest with you the the piece that i am like in love with and excited about is helping people get a phd in themselves like really to understand who you are, what you want, that you are lovable, that you are loved. Like self-love is such a big piece here. Self-care is such a piece here. And when you can live from that worldview that you are incredible and you can be compassionate to yourself and you're doing the best you can and you're caring for yourself well, emotional eating isn't going to be a problem anymore. It reminds me of a conversation I was having with somebody the other day where we were saying that we all should be going to therapy because we all need to talk through our problems with somebody. And it just shows you that how much our thoughts and our emotions have to do with what we're eating. And really, I don't know where I'm going with this. I just feel like it's true. We all really should be in therapy. Yeah. A big one that I see and I I help women move past is all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking, perfectionism by another name, this idea that you have to follow your eating plan, your food plan. I'm sure you get this too with physical activity or your fitness plan perfectly. And if you don't, you may, you blew it. There's some shame involved, some self-criticism and you may as well just give up. And so you're either following these very restrictive and hard to follow plans perfectly. And honestly, when people, 
it's it is possible for a a small amount of people and i honestly think it's the people who are susceptible to eating disorders because i talk to people who are like yeah i've been following my super restricted weight loss plan for three years and now my brain is a little bit messed up i my relationship with food my body is super weird now and i need help to fix it or see so there's the all or the nothing you get to the point where you're just completely going back to old habits backsliding never making any progress and i would say that's 95 percent of people and so never being able to make progress towards a goal that you want because this all or nothing thinking is so pervasive because again diet culture tells you if you mess up you're a failure if you're if you live in a bigger body you're a failure if you whatever fill in the blank you're a failure and it's not about that's why i love to talk about self-compassion because that allows you to start to see your partial wins your partial successes and build on those towards what you want for yourself rather than feeling stuck as a failure yeah that is also great and i feel like we've talked so much but we have another big topic that we haven't covered yet that I want to at least touch on. And okay. that is, we started out talking about how it's not willpower. And then we talked about how emotional eating can be part of what's going on with the food choices you make. But then there's another piece too, right? The hormones. Yeah. Can you talk about hormones? Yeah, yeah. I work with women 45 and up. So we're often talking about perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, and the bushel of hormonal changes that are happening then. And really, I think what's important to understand about that life transition is research shows it can be some of the most stressful times in a woman's life that she may be dealing with adult or teenage children aging the more responsibility at work or life transitions that all seem to converge at once and just cause for some women a very intense amount of stress additionally menopausal changes can lead to mood swings anxiety depression and even in women who really haven't dealt with these things before so more difficult feelings more stress can definitely lead to emotional eating, um, especially if maybe you don't have the tools to process and manage your emotions uh, to begin with, it can get even worse. So menopausal hormonal changes can make a difference. And also the stress hormone cortisol is a really important one. And I know that this is, I feel like it's the buzzword hormone right now. And I'm sure in the fitness industry, you're talking about it as well. But the idea that when your body is in that fight, flight, or freeze mode, you are going to be eating more. You're going to have more cravings, research shows, and it may even lead to some of this restriction or hypervigilance about food or anxiety about food, or even dissociating where you disconnect from your feelings and you just eat. This cortisol imbalance can lead to some of that, especially if you have a history of trauma, um, because a history of trauma means you may be more sensitive to cortisol and may be feeling that hypervigilance where you're just always on and always noticing what's going on around you. These hormones are important to understand because they can lead to eating. And again, it's not a willpower problem. It's not a self-control problem. And there are things you can do for both cortisol and menopause imbalance and get help, reach out, ask for help. You don't have to stay stuck there. And also I will say a lot of women struggle with finding good care 
for menopause specific issues. And so I'd love to tell your audience about a company, Genev, G-E-N-E-V. I've become buddies with them because I love them so much. They provide low cost menopause expert doctor visits for women via telemedicine. And they're throughout the whole United States, you can go to genev.com and you can use my code. I don't get anything for it. I just love them so much. They gave me a code. It's Cassie 20, C-A-S-I-E 20 to get 20% off anything on their website. They've got supplements for menopause specific issues and these doctor visits. So it comes out to $80 cash for a 30 minute call with someone who actually knows what they're talking about when it comes to menopause. And I've had clients who work with them while they're working with me and they have nothing but amazing things to say. They found a lot of relief. So anyone out there struggling with, with menopause issues, please do reach out to Genev. And I might point out that a 30 minute call is about 25 minutes more than your family practice doctor is going to give you because that's not how they're paid. And they don't have time to dig into all of the details, which is why it's important to talk to people who know what they're talking about and then seek out other experts who have more time and education and just ability to walk you through those things. Would you say that's true? Oh my word. Yes. I I won't, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but the stories I hear from women uh, sometimes about what their general, their family doctor, their general practitioner recommends for them for their hot flashes or for menopause. And most of the time they just get told, oh, it's normal. It'll pass. Don't worry about it. But at worst, they can get like some legitimately bad advice. Do the ketogenic diet for your hot flashes. Or I've just heard some crazy stuff. So this actually, like you said, working with someone who knows and maybe your GP knows, and that's awesome. But there's a lot of people who don't have a doctor readily available who can actually help them with menopause. Yep. Okay. So this next question I realize is a chicken and the egg thing, especially when you're dealing with somebody in menopause, but sleep. Where does sleep play into regulating cortisol? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So cortisol controls your sleep-wake cycle, and it totally is a chicken or the egg because if cortisol is imbalanced, it's going to imbalance sleep. And if sleep is imbalanced, it's going to imbalance cortisol. And then of course, like you said, during perimenopause, menopause, sleep can change due to other factors as well, not even related to cortisol. So if you have things going on in your life that are, you know, elevating cortisol, that can, that can mess with your sleep and research shows, and you're going to die. This is my favorite statistic. (laughs) So research shows for every hour of sleep that you are deprived, you're going to eat an additional 385 calories. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible. So sleep is a big deal when it comes to eating. It's a big driver of eating. It's a cortisol imbalance. And so figuring out what you can do about your sleep. Cortisol is also controlled by your circadian rhythm by light. And in recent years, people have become aware of this and they're using blue light blocking glasses or, or the phones have night mode and things like that. You can stop using TV late at night and really just being sensitive to the light you're taking in and making sure that you're getting light early in the day. 
I'm in the Pacific Northwest and our days get so short in winter. And so I even use a little light therapy light because it's, it's just frankly not bright enough outside. Even right now it's 11 AM when we're recording and it's not very bright outside. Yeah. You gotta figure out what to do there. That's also something that I work with clients, helping figure out what's going on with sleep. There's some supplements that can help. There's some um, lifestyle changes you can make. And of course, if none of those things work, then going to a sleep doctor and really getting that extra support can be helpful as well. Yep. Sleep is just one of my favorite topics ever since I realized how much sleep affects and I've always liked my quality sleep. Mm -hmm. And so when you can't get it, it's frustrating, but it does, it plays into everything that could possibly be wrong. It seems. And I don't know, I I was thinking about this uh, recently when I feel like 10, 15 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, the answer to whatever you wanted to do was like, just wake up earlier or go to bed later, right? Anything you wanted to do, sacrifice your sleep in order to do it. You want to go to the gym, wake up earlier. You want to eat well, wake up early. Whereas now I'm so glad that this message that your sleep is maybe more important even than all of those things, or it's going to allow all of those things to work for you is becoming more prevalent because yeah, if you're not sleeping, your muscles aren't recovering, you're going to have trouble gaining muscle and then meeting your fitness goals. You're going to be having these food cravings. You're going to be feeling out tired, right? There's just feeling tired is really uncomfortable. Well, and then when you're tired, you start reaching for all the sugary foods like, oh, I, this will wake me up. Let me eat this. Yeah. I, I always used to, when I was working, I would go at two o'clock every afternoon, go get my Snickers bar or my mm-hmm. Rice Krispie treat out of the vending machine. Yeah. And it was all not because I needed it, but because I'm like, I feel like I ne- needed that sugar jolt to wake me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I think tiredness connecting back to our other conversation, tiredness is another feeling that we try to avoid. We don't like to be tired. So we're using the sugar to avoid being tired, to avoid feeling it. And in reality, just allowing ourselves to feel tired, giving ourselves grace, accepting. That's another thing in our culture. I don't think we accept tiredness. Like we want to go be productive as women. We have so many things to do. And and I'm sure men feel this way too. I really need like a male counterpart to be like, yes, men also. But the idea being that you're just trying to, I don't know, you're running away from accepting your feelings just in a different way. This has been such a great conversation. So many gems that we've talked about. I hope that people get a lot. I know that people get a lot out of this conversation. If they want to connect with you more, how can they find you and where should they look? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. If you like what I've been talking about and you want to know more, I recommend that you go to cassiechristopher.net forward slash free. And I've got a guide for you. It's called you're done dieting, but still want to heal emotional eating and then get ready for the longest subtitle ever. Cause I'm wordy a roadmap to achieve peace and freedom with food and to feel comfortable in your own skin for women over 45 who've tried it all. (laughs) So if you, if that's you and you want to hear more again, cassiechristopher.net forward slash free, I'm sharing in that guide, the exact steps you have to take, like what it actually looks like to heal your emotional eating. So if you're someone who feels like you've tried everything 
take a look at this guide. I bet you're going to find the things that you haven't tried. And then also I give you the first couple steps and give you some thoughts and, and questions to get over the barriers that maybe have stopped you from doing the things that you know that you want to do for yourself. So please check that out. All right. Thank you. It's been so great talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kim. This has been fun. Thank you for joining me for season four of Power Up Your Performance. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and follow. Dream big and get out there and explore.